Developing Tomorrow's Leaders is a podcast that is all about educating, supporting, and inspiring the next generation of leaders. Coach T's new book, The Ultimate Guide to Success for Preteens and Teens, is the perfect resource for preteen and teen personal growth and development skills. It breaks down in detail Coach T's Sea of Success program and its applications in 10 key development areas. The program applies Coach T's three key components, simplicity, effort, and attitude. Order your copy today on Amazon, available in paperback and hardback. Today's guest has been a lifelong learner in the field of personal finance, learning from her mom, who was a financial educator for almost 40 years. After studying personal finance in college, she worked in the investment regulatory space for over a decade, uncovering Ponzi schemes and identifying people that laundered money. Oh, my. She hung up her badge, now works to pass on the knowledge she has gained in the field of personal finance to anyone that is eager to live a richer life. And what sets her and her company Empower Co. apart is that she incorporates the field of positive psychology, which is the science of well-being, into all that she does. It's her mission to empower people to use their time, talents, and money to live a happier life. Please help me welcome Lee Satterfield to Development Tomorrow's Leaders. How are you doing, Lee? Great. Thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Now, when we spoke before, and I wanted to mention this because I want you to share the story about, I think, the difference, uh, your journey with finance and your husband's journey with finance. Is that right? If I remember that correctly? Yeah, I'd love for you to start with that. That'd be great. Sure, I'd love to start with that. So we had very different backgrounds. It's something that sets us apart from each other, even though we have very common goals as adults and values. Um, Growing up, like you said in my bio, I had a fantastic financial mentor and just life mentor in both of my parents. In fact, they stayed in school and went to college and got advanced degrees in law and My mom is a doctorate. She has a doctorate in personal finance and and how adults learn. So I had great mentors and they really focused on finances and just just kind of life skills on top of education. So I really had a head start. I knew how to manage money. I knew how to manage credit cards. I had been saving for retirement from the age of 13. So just like this, this, these really cool things that I got to experience because I had adults mentoring me in those spaces. My husband, on the other hand, his family is wonderful. I love them dearly. Um, He had a very different situation growing up and, and they were, you know, a great family and, and he had multiple siblings and things, and they have great relationships still. Um, But he didn't have a lot of example of how to finance college Um, specifically his first semester of college, he knew he wanted to go to school. He had a wonderful mentor and his grandmother who really valued education. And so he went to a local community college and he paid for his first semester of college on a credit card because he really had no idea about personal finance, student loans, um, scholarships, grants, any of those types of ways to fund education after high school. And so, you know, his experience was very different. 
but it really interested in him and how he could um, grow his life financially. And he actually went into the field of accounting. So he's learned a lot of financial skills over his adulthood, um, but didn't necessarily have the early start that I had in my financial life. And so, you know, it's really interesting. The two of us, we communicate a lot about money and our, in our personal lives. Um, but we definitely had a different start and his paying for college on a credit card always kind of blows my mind a little bit. Well, I love about that story is that, you know, having the two polar opposites in, in your approaches, you know, going to school, but seeing the end result, uh, you know, how you can always overcome what you didn't have in the beginning, you know, there's like those building blocks and those walls that you break through, you break through. And then to see that he's ultimately in finance as well. And now obviously you guys are like two peas in a pod now, right? We are, we work pretty well together. Although we still have conflict about money, you know, um, and just the ways we want to use our resources most efficiently. I think it is a testament to the fact that, you know, a lot, a lot of people think that there's one way to manage money effectively. And I think the two of us are the perfect examples of you can do things differently. You can have different paths and you can still get to a place where you feel financially secure and have your needs met and most of your wants, you know, at least some of them. Um, So, you know, it's, it's a great testament to there are different ways to manage money and it's more about what your goals and values are at the end of the day than necessarily doing things in a specific order or, um, you know, having a really specific framework for how you manage money. Yeah. So what would you think is the number one misconception that people have when it comes to managing money and their thought processes, if you will? Yeah, I think um, so. I think the biggest thing for me is living within our means. Um, We live in a society where you you hear a lot of messages of go big or go home or, um, you know, the fact that you have to get everything right all the time to be financially successful, Um, just kind of these over broad statements. And I think we need to dial it in and tell people that you know, as long as you do most well, you're going to be okay. And, and it's also the fact that we don't have to overhaul our financial lives or, or start over again, we can do small things over time that can add up to big wins in the long run. Yeah, it makes me think about uh, what my wife and I do now is whenever we see something, both of us, for both of us, we say, well, what is, do we want that or do we need that? And yes. believe it or not, that mindset has changed a lot. And we started doing that about 10 years ago, and it's made a significant difference. Yes, I think, um, you know, we've gone through the world of kind of the Marie Kondo on Netflix and all those um, minimalism kind of focuses. And I think it really does make us realize we can be happy with less. And I think the pandemic, while I hope none of us live through another one in our lifetimes, you know, in the earlier days of the pandemic, we had to be resourceful and we had to look around our homes or look around our spaces and figure out how we could reuse things because running out to the store was not a reality for most of us at that point. Um, so, you know, it is a re- there is a kind of focus on we can do more with less. And sometimes having more things just creates more worry because it's all about, okay, well, now that I have it, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to pay for it? Because it's on a credit card. And then you realize, I don't really love it. So now you have to get rid of it. And so, you know, really thinking about, is this a need or is this a want? And then 
prioritizing what it is you want most, I think is really important because in our financial lives, we get to spend each dollar one time. And so um, there's actually research that says we, as consumers kind of don't think broadly enough. We tend to focus on comparing item A to item B instead of saying, well, is that type of item really what I want to use this amount of money for most? So um, a great example of this, just to make it clear is um, a few weeks ago, we had an illness go through our house and I was like, we were all at home, um, stuck at home. And I was like looking around the rooms and going, man, there really isn't much artwork on the walls or, um, you know, I'd like to replace some of these pillow coverings and things. And so then you get online and it's easy to start looking at artwork piece to artwork piece or pillowcase to pillowcase. Um, but in the bigger scheme of life, when you take a step back, well, we're only stuck in this space for a little bit of time. I'd maybe rather use that money to go do something fun on the weekends once we get once we get through this illness that's going through our house. Or, or maybe I'd rather pay a little bit extra on a loan that I currently have. Or I want to save it because one of our biggest goals is we're trying to work towards built to finishing our basement. So, you know, putting that money aside to finishing the basement, not just redecorating our home. So I think sometimes thinking about you know, our wants in a bigger, in a bigger framework can really be helpful to help us evaluate the opportunity costs of how we spend our money. Yeah. Do you think there are social impacts that affect people's decisions with finances as well? Like the old, the saying, keeping up with the Joneses mentality? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so interestingly, most people are bombarded with between one to 10,000 ads a day, depending on how much we're on social media, how much we're out about in town. Um, you know, so there's no wonder that we all joke about, you know, the delivery truck coming once a day, or, you know, I have to stop by the store on the way home and pick up a to-go order or, you know, those types of things. Um, it's no wonder we joke about those things because we see ads all the time. And advertisers are getting smart and they know it's not just an ad on social media. Now it's seeing somebody that we maybe look up to promoting a product. And then, you know, that that's really an advertisement and seeing people doing things and having things that look pretty great. It can definitely influence our way of thinking and put us more into the mindset of, man, I would like that now. And so something we talk about at EmpowerCo a lot is don't give up what you want most for what it is you want right now. So if what you want most is to pay down debt or to have lower student loan debts because you use more of your income to pay for college or um, thing, things like that, staying out of credit card debt, if you want those things most, you know, giving that up to buy the things that you see people influencing about on social media can really distract you from what it is you want most. So really focusing on, is this something I want now? Or is this something I want most? And asking yourself that question before putting something in the cart and buying it can be helpful. So this is a, a good time to ask you to share a little bit more about EmpowerCo and really specifically what you do, because I think it's going to be a great uh, lead into you know, how that can affect young people as they prepare to start taking on responsibilities financially. Yeah. So um, like you mentioned at the beginning, EmpowerCo is my company and I get to work with my mom, Dr. Thea Crawford. So we're a duo, a mother-daughter duo who really help people manage their finances 
more carefully, um, but also adding in a lot of the positive psychology elements. So sometimes living richer is not just having more money in your bank accounts. It's more about how you're using your time, your talents, and your money to do more of what it is you want to do in this lifetime. So um, we have online courses and we also do direct coaching. So if somebody is facing a financial hurdle that is really specific and they want to do some direct quick coaching, we can do that. Um, but we really encourage people to go through our courses because they get so much bang for their bunk at, buck out of them. So we have four courses and the ones that I think might speak to your audience the best um, are the positive psychology course called Happiness Habitudes. And that course is really about how we can use our time, our talents, and our money better to live more a more happy life. So a lot of people don't even know what positive psychology is. And there's an actual field of study in the, in the psychology world. It's, it's a little bit newer. It started in the seventies and, and it's really about some of us could be doing okay today. You know, there's some of us who need help kind of getting back to normal or getting back to functional, but some of us are doing pretty well and we want to dial up our happiness even more. And so there's an actual science behind things that we can do in our day-to-day -day life just to be happier. And, you know, it's incorporating gratitude into our day-to-day, -day, forgiving people, building stronger relationships with others. And there's a lot of really great, easy-ish, you know, I want to say easy-ish because you do have to be mindful about them, but there are clear strategies that are pretty easy, low cost to, that we can implement into our life to live happier. You know, not every day is going to be happier. Um, life happens. I, we're certainly not um, about kind of the toxic positivity where you just ignore the negative things going on in the world or in your life, because sometimes those are the most, those are the best opportunities to learn. Um, and how are the good days good if we don't, can't recognize them? So, um, you know, there are strategies in that course for if life is happening, how do we bounce back to being happier quicker when we're ready to do that? Um, so that's a great course because a lot of people don't think about the fact that happiness is really separate from the stages we are in life. Sometimes we think in our mind, you know, when I get to college, I'll be happy because I'll be out of mom and dad's house. When I graduate college, I'll be happy. When I get my first summer internship, I'll be happy. When I get to buy a nicer car or a new car or, you know, these milestones that we think will bring joy and happiness to our lives. The thing is, once we get there, all we do is raise the bar for ourselves. And so that course is really for people who want to figure out how to be happier more of the time. And, and it's great for any age point. And it would be great for parents and, and high school and college age kids to do together because, you know, they might be able to, you know, reinforce some of the, the ideas in the course together. The other course um, that I would like to highlight is Richer Retirement, and it's a financial course, and it does talk about positive psychology a little bit, um, but it's really more focused on how do we set up a financial framework that gives us the life that we want to now through our working years leading up to retirement and then through retirement. And I know your audience is younger. However, the feedback we get to that course is, man, I wish I would have had that course when I was younger, man, I wish I would have done this when I was starting my first job in high school. I wish I would have had this information sooner because there are so many little things and, and, you know, high school, college age individuals have such a great, um, fresh start. You know, they haven't made a lot of financial decisions at that point. So doing some very specific things and getting off the ground and making habits out of certain things at that time frame can be really beneficial in the long run, kind of going back to that statement of, 
small decisions can add up to big wins in the long run. And, and that age group really has the benefit of time. And so, so those are the two courses that we have. They're online. Um, all of our courses are online and we coach people through them. So it's not just, here's a ton of information good luck. It's here's a ton of information. Now let's talk about what is authentic. What can you really incorporate into your life? Um, and, and what are your goals for taking the course and how can we support you to reach them throughout the course? So, um, that's pretty high level what we do. That's awesome. But first part I wanted to respond to is I loved how you started that when you, you were very emphatic and excited when you said you get to work with your mom, which is stood out to me. I love that. Did you get to work with your mom? There are a lot of people you said yourself, I'll be happy when I get out of my parents' house and go whatever. You value relationships. I know we're talking about finance, but when things pop out to me, I always like to point them out. And you value the relationship that you have with your mom. And I, it's one of the things that I share with a lot of kids is, you know, like for me, I don't have my dad, but I have my mom and I'd love to have my dad back here. You value every opportunity that you have with them and to get to work with her, you know, I think speaks volumes to the relationship you all have. So I just want to make a reference to that. But I also wanted to share that I think it's what's important, too, um, because I've been through the financial woes part of it when I was really young because I didn't know about money. And when I first moved out, what do you think the first thing happened when they got my address? I got all these credit card applications. I'm like, holy crap, I can get five thousand. They're gonna give me five ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm all over it. I'm all over it. And what do you think I did? I just ran that sucker up, ran it up, ran it up. And then those bills started coming. I'm like, whoa, 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 what is this? And then people forget about interest, interest, interest. And that's what you pay for the first who knows how many years. You're paying interest, interest. So Again, this is why I wanted to have you on because you also mentioned that people find out once they take your courses, like, I wish I had learned this when I was younger. So that's why I wanted to have you on. So people understand this early you start, the better it's going to be, not just for you, but for your kids, because you want them to start off on the right track, right? Absolutely. And and talking about just the the parent mentorship, or even if it's not a direct parent, it may be, you know, a guardian or a cool aunt or just a coach like yourself, like a mentor that people have. There's so many adult teen relationships where we can have discussions about finance and talk about it in a way that doesn't feel too personal. I think, you know, unfortunately, finance is one of the most taboo topics to talk about. And to pass that knowledge and what we know on to the next generation can be one of the best gifts that we give them. I think, you know, you mentioned that my mom and I have, you know, I lit up when I was talking about her and it's true. I love, I love her as a person. She respects me and I certainly respect her. She's, she's taught me so much. And, and I think relationships are the number one thing. And you know, whether that be to protect your mental well-being or to teach you about these life lessons that maybe we don't learn enough about in school. Um, you know, it's really important that we have conversations. And um, I was talking with a group last week and it was high school juniors and there were 50 people. And afterwards, a, a young man came up to me and he was talking about how, you know, he really has no idea what his financial future holds and just where to start. And and his family does have some resources based on what he described. And I was like, well, have you talked with your parents about it? And he was like, well, no, I really haven't because they haven't really brought it up. And, you know, I feel like if anything, the best thing we can be doing as parents, you know, I have really young kids, but we talk about the 
my, my oldest is in kindergarten. So we talk about coins a lot and just the different values of this is a penny and this is a nickel, you know, we're starting very basic, but we have these conversations. And, and as we're getting to high school and college age, it's really important that we talk about, okay, as adults, we want our kids to grow up financially so that we're not responsible for them, but how can we make that happen if we don't talk to them about expectations and say, okay, well, I'm helping you with your cell phone bill or your car insurance or, you know, whatever it is. And, but then having expectations for when they'll take those things on themselves, or if we're going to support them through college, what our expectations are for, for that. And I think one of the best things we can do is really have conversations. And that's what I love about my mom is no topics off limits. You know, if we're, if my spouse and I are trying to make some financial decisions, she's somebody that I go to as a mentor personally and say like, Hey, we're really thinking about these. Like, and you have that accountability a little bit outside of just our relationship. Like obviously my spouse and I are accountable to each other first and foremost, but then, you know, we have a network of people that we rely upon to, okay, are you really living within your value system? And, and so it's really important that we just break down those walls. I was sorry to keep going, but I was reading a a newspaper the other day. It was a magazine, a publication, and they were talking about research and finance. And they were saying that individuals that are in the dating phase of their lifetime wait on average over a year to talk with the person that they're dating about money. And that's one of the last topics they'll cover. And, and Unfortunately, money is the number one reason cited for marriages ending. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you think of those two facts and, you know, there's ways to talk about money with money without saying, well, we have X amount of dollars in our bank account and getting to that personal level. You can talk about, you know, the, the, the kind of example that you've seen, you can talk about what you think, you know, so that you can just understand each other's perspectives. And I think, while that is a great, those are great conversations in a relationship, they're also great conversations between a parent and a high school or a college age student um, who's kind of navigating their first kind of financial decisions. Even if it's, hey, like you said, I got these credit card mailers and I took it out and I really paid an interest for that. Having that conversation, using that as an example, it might make them think second uh, for an extra second or two and maybe put those in the shred bin instead of taking them out. So it's really important yeah. that we open up that line of communication first. Well, you ever, do you ever watch Roseanne? I have, it's been a while, but yes, yeah. I have. Yes. What is it? There's an episode where uh, she's checking the mail and uh, it's a stack of mail and it's a credit card application thing in there. She goes, Oh, somebody else looking to lose their job, <laughs> get another credit card. With the like, so when they come in, I, that's kind of my wife. That's where I think, Oh, somebody else trying to lose their job. Um, but I want to go back to the, the young man that you were talking about that after you spoke to uh, the high school juniors. And that's the perfect scenario where you would think the parents, if they have the resources, hey, you know, let's start letting little Billy, Johnny, let's kind of share with him kind of how he can start off on the right foot. And I think that's a mindset going back to the psychology part of it is I think parents are so set in, okay, I protect my kids. I'll tell them what they need to know, when they need to know. And sometimes when they need to know is too late um, for them to start off on the right foot, not necessarily too late at all, but just too late for them to start off on the right foot. And that's our question. Have you, or do you, or Empower, Empower Co., you and your mom, have do you work with schools on a regular basis or are there ways that you can 
actually implement courses for schools to, you know, for financial literacy for high school students and middle school even? Yeah, at this point, we don't have anything directly to that effect besides just the courses that we have can really apply to that, especially if it's, you know, a parent and a student going through it together where you can have open conversations. We don't have something at this point where it's a course geared towards that. However, the the experience that I had last week um, talking with the high school juniors really got my wheels spinning, um, I have to say, because um, it was really interesting to me. I opened that presentation with, does anybody know what the net worth equation is? And not a single person all day knew the answer to that. And then my next question was, well, what is, you know, as a high school student, what do you think is your biggest asset? And, you know, I got car or one person, they must have a very nice cello because that was an answer I got back, which are certainly assets. Um, But I talked about how, you know, from my perspective, their biggest asset is their ability to make income in the future. Um, As you know, they're inter, you know, their high school juniors, most of them, when they introduced themselves to me were talked about, they had a summer job coming up or things that is a huge asset to know that you're going to have and be able to make income. And so protecting your ability to make income, learning more skills, expanding your knowledge, taking care of yourself physically. So you're able to do the line of work you really want to do. Those things are really important to think about. And, and it was just amazing. None of them had, had anything had had ever thought about it in that perspective. And so, you know, I think um, it's something that, I definitely have my wheel spinning on and hope to, I know there are more and more states that are now requiring um, one semester of financial education within the high school programs, which is a great step in the right direction. Um, Obviously each program is different from one to another. So um, if students have the ability, even if it's not required in their state, but the ability to take that as an elective in their high school years, that's great. Um, I highly recommend that. Um, but I think it would be a world, do a world of good for not just the kids themselves specifically, but you, you gotta, I always look at the big picture, whatever I'm dealing with when we're talking about kids' lives and you're trying to develop them. Yes. First and foremost, I'm a basketball coach, but I'm also a mentor and I've worked with a lot of kids and what I teach them in sports carries over into life. And what I look at when I say the big picture, I'm talking about the students, the parents, and the educators themselves. You know, collectively, we all have to work together to get the kids where they need to be. So having a program like yours in the school systems benefits teachers because now they're like, there are a lot of teachers that would love for kids to learn about financial literacy, but it's not in their curriculum. Right. But Right? So then you get the kids that are like, oh, now they understand what assets they have. Now their mindset changes. Now it's like, it's not my car. You know, it's not my cello. It's not whatever the material things. Because right. always kids think about materialistically, yep. materialistically, right? And then you get to parents. We have to change their psychology because it's an, a known fact. Um, parents teach what they were taught. So if they weren't taught financial literacy growing up, unlike yourself, if everybody, if every parent had taught their kids like your mom did, think about where we'd be as a nation and Absolutely. where would our, how many more un, entre, young entrepreneurs would we have sooner? Um, and some may not even go to college because they have a plan, right? Right. College isn't it for everybody, especially there are some fields where, you know, a technical school may be better or some kind of apprenticeship type situation that that's certainly reasonable. And 
you know, there are some people who have a totally different track in mind altogether. Um, I do appreciate your thoughts on that. And I would love to talk with you about it. I do think it is really important because um, incorporating the positive psychology space into the financial world is new. Um, You know, my mom, I really think is one of the pioneers in that space because for so long, the financial world said, the only thing that matters is building net worth. And if you're, if you're doing, making financial decisions for any other purpose than to stocking money away, um, it financially doesn't make sense. And, and we're here to say, you know, you have to plan for a rainy day and you, and thinking about saving for retirement and starting to save for retirement as early as possible, it really adds up. Um, but also we have to kind of live in the moment a little bit and enjoy the present. Otherwise we're going to get to retirement and either if our health doesn't hold up or if we didn't save as much, we're going to get there and our, we're not going to have meaning in our day-to-day lives if we didn't kind of challenge ourselves now to figure out what it is we really like doing and, and we enjoy. So, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, a lot of people didn't have a lot of financial education. And those of us that did, you know, in my earliest days, it was all about building net worth. And, and sometimes there's a give and take to that. So, yeah. There's some other aspects too, I think, that tie into understanding, you know, the not just financial aspect of it, but I, I, talk, I spend a lot of time talking about other soft skills that aren't readily taught in school. You know, when you talk about um, personal accountability, personal responsibility, goal setting, financial goal setting, part of that goal setting is not just financial, it's educational, it's family, it's, you know, every aspect of your lives move forward. That short, medium, and long term goals. None of that stuff is taught in school. You know, talk about leadership, you know, being financially uh, comfortable in every aspect of your life takes leadership of your life. You got to take control of your life. Those are things that just aren't readily taught. And it requires people like yourself and me to do it. But we do it on such a small scale. And that's why I keep mentioning. That's why I mentioned that about school, because if you can plant that seed and it spreads, it makes all the world a difference. But there's a big argument that education, the education system is designed to do what it is doing. And it's limiting what kids are taught so that it minimizes what they will be able to do when they get out of the K-12 schools and then when they get to college. And to your point about college, I didn't finish college. And for the longest time, I used to beat myself up about it. But then I realized I became just as successful without a college degree. But the flip side is both my brothers, my your older brother has his doctorate in education, and my younger brother has a degree in uh, information, business information systems. But we're all three successful. It's all different paths. And of the three of us, I'm probably, uh, we all work hard, but I've probably always been the one that's been the workaholic mindset. And part of it's because in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I don't have a college degree, and everybody puts all the weight of value of who you are and how successful you are on a piece of paper. But in reality, what I'm teaching kids now, I wouldn't have learned in school. Is yeah. the school of hard knocks is what I learned everything that I'm sharing, and a lot of that came from you know, my father. So that's why I really feel like this is an opportunity for collaborative opportunities, if nothing else, to spread what you do for me to the to my audience, and and, and vice versa. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And I think that's really important that we as people who are educators are open-minded to everybody has a different path. And, you know, in the work that we do, a lot of our courses are not a step-by-step. You have to do this. You have to do that because every, just like 
people's educational paths are different. Everybody's financial path is different. You know, mine versus my spouse's, we were, we had a very different financial path in the way that we grew up and through college and in our early adulthood, you know, when we met, we had very different financial pictures. And, you know, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing when we can celebrate that that's okay. And that we can all be different. And, you know, we do all have to have goals and what my goals are, are going to be different from your goals. And so on to the next person and the next person. And I think that's one of the important perspectives we bring to all the things that we do is these are important strategies that could work, but it's really about what do you want to be, have, and do at the end of the day. And let's prioritize what, what you want to be, have, and do most. And use your finances, but also your skills and your talents and your, and your time to get you there. Yeah. So let me ask you um, what you and your mom are working on now. Is there anything in particular that you're working on project wise? Yeah. So um, we are working on, we have our courses and we're just working to grow our network as much as possible to get education to more individuals. That's really the main focus. The thing that I'm working on having young daughters, I am working on some children's books and I'm also part of an anthology that's coming out this fall. So doing some writing for, for publications is something that I'm kind of extending into. Um, But I I love the work that we're doing. So it's really just bringing awareness is really the biggest thing that we're focused on. So any tips for, uh, let's go, actually, I would love to go just two different areas. Let's go parents, right? Tips for parents and how they can set their kids up for financial success. So I think the tips for parents that I would have are one, having conversations and just letting your kids be kids, but hearing them out. You know, I think as adults, we often want to tell kids what we think is right all the time. And they're actually at the perfect age and stage of life to make a mistake or two. And so they can learn from it. Um, So, you know, controlling what they do in their financial life to a T may be a little bit too much, um, letting them kind of learn and giving them resources that they can rely upon, you know, giving them, you know, encouraging them to follow EmpowerCo or Money Magazine or Consumer Reports or things that resources that are really um, research based can really help them move forward more quickly and, and encouraging them to try. Um, you know, in the high school age, the biggest thing is giving them opportunities to try, Um, whether it's helping them once they have their first bank, once they have their first job, focusing on getting a banking account and maintaining a balance that's always above zero, starting a savings account and, you know, encouraging them if they do have earned income to consider starting to save for retirement. Those things, those, you know, if you start with those three things, that can get them into the habits of work, you know, save some, spend some and share some. Um, So those, those things can be really powerful at a young age. And then you basically just answered the second part of the question because you laid the foundation for my second part, which is perfect. No, that's what, that's why you do what you do. I don't have to ask the questions. You know exactly (laughs) what I'm going to ask. You know what the second question is going to be anyway, but but yeah, this has been a great conversation late. I'm really glad we got the opportunity and it is uh, so vital for, like I said, for parents and for kids to be as well educated and understanding and not be afraid of finances. I think that's the biggest thing. And I'll go back to your point about, you know, couples dating and they wait till it's the last thing they talk about is finances. And like, 
well, good Lord, if you're waiting that long and, and everything is good till you get there and you start butting heads, it's only going to get worse once you tie the knot, right? That's right. typically what happens. Yeah. F- figuring out your, if you're financially compatible or not early on is, is worthwhile. So, you know, it doesn't have to be the first conversation, but it, it, it also having that waiting until after a year to have it is maybe a little long. Well, just, it's like, I'm, I'm just going to kind of get a scenario here. So um, my wife and I are dating and uh, she's got a good job. She's making, you know, almost six figures a year. And then, you know, we're date back and forth. She goes, what do I do? Well, I'm a, I'm a waiter and I would live paycheck to paycheck because I party or I buy every new electronic device that comes out. That is a recipe for disaster, right? Even if we have the conversation, because you already know where it's going, you're yeah. not responsible with money. Well, you know, having that conversation about, okay, it seems like your habit is that you're a spender. You know, you might be spending it on all these different things. So if I am the other person in that category and I'm going, sitting here going, man, I'm a saver. I've worked all summer and I have most of that money sitting in my bank account or in a, in a, you know, maybe I'm actually starting to dabble in investing and mostly retirement investing. And I'm going, man, we're really different financially asking just, you know, asking that person, how does that make them feel to recognize that the way you manage money is different? Um, You know, how are you going to kind of balance that as you, as you go forward? I think that's really a great, uh, it's great that you're making observations about it. And then, you know, asking questions of how does it feel to, to recognize that observation? Because that's how, you know, volatile it could be if you don't ask the questions to make the other person aware that, hey, you know, I'm a saver, you know, if this is going to happen, you're going to have maybe have to change how you're doing things. But just because I got all this money in my account doesn't mean we get married, you'll start spending it. Anyway, um, any other tips you want to share? I think, you know, what I started with was really think about what it is you want most and what you want to be, have, and do, and then figure out how to prioritize those things starting now. I think as youth, we kind of challenge ourselves and say we have, you know, forever, we have a long time to do what we want to do and, you know, waiting until we get to certain points in our lives, if we can start to incorporate some now, even if it's just doing something on the weekends that we love or saving for something that we want to enjoy six months down the road, um, challenging ourselves to really think about what it is we want most now and start to incorporate those things um, would be my biggest piece of advice because um, life goes by quickly. You know, I was, it feels like just yesterday I was in high school, but I, it wasn't just yesterday. It's been a little (laughs) longer than I'd like to admit. So, you know, it's just, I think we live in a world where it's, important to really think about what it is that we value, what it is we really do want most and start working towards that sooner than later. I know what I was going to ask you about that with parents, vulnerability, parents being vulnerable and sharing stories like the one I shared with you. Those are, I think, examples of how they can educate their kids as well. Say, hey, you know, I wasn't as responsible, but I don't want you to be that way. Uh, that's, I know sometimes, yeah. Absolutely. Being vulnerable and just being open to having those conversations of, listen, I'm human too. I may be your parent and, you know, I have a kindergartner and we'll be working on something and she'll go, man, you're so good at that. How do you, how are you good at that? And I, I remind her every time I said, I'll say, honey, listen, you're six years old. I'm a lot older than you. I've had a lot more practice. You know, it, I've, when I was your age, I don't know that I was doing, even trying to do what you're doing today. So you know, the sooner we can have conversations of, you know, when I started managing money or just walking them through the process of, 
you know, opening a bank account or, or giving them an allowance if we're able to, or encouraging them to get a job so they can start practicing with money. The more, the sooner we can get them experience and get them asking questions and having conversations, the sooner they're going to be better at managing money. Yeah, no, amen to that. Your daughter's going to be, your daughters are going to be well, uh, well off and um, whoever they marry, which is going to be years from now, <laughs> they will know to ask those questions early because mama's <laughs> going to let her, let them know, right? Oh yeah. We're going to talk about habits and attitudes just, you know, and you know, with balance, right? Like not everything has to be about money. You know, we have to, we have to have balance in our lives of what do we enjoy doing? You know, my friends and I joke that when I start started dating my husband, he was an accountant and I'm in finance and they're like, Oh, you guys must have thrilling dinner conversations. And I was like, you know what? We talk about money and we certainly have those observations about how each other manages money. And we've talked about kind of our upbringing financially and where we're headed and our goals and things like that. But we had a lot of conversations about things that were not related to money at all as well. So money is part of our life, but it shouldn't be the controlling factor. And if it is, we need to think about our perspective and find some balance. Yeah, no, no, that's a great point. And it is, it is great when you have uh, a couple that they're both in the same line of work, but it goes to show you that there's more compatibility than just what you have in common as far as work, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. yeah, it's a small was... part of what we talk about. You know, we yeah. have, we have our individual things. We're in very different areas of finance, but we've used it as a foundation within our relationship to even when we do have conflict a little bit over what we're going to do with money or not do, you know, it's not some big momentous fight or something like that. It's, it's right. a conversation in a relationship. Right. And I think getting to that point where we feel comfortable and confident saying, Hey, I really have this goal for me personally. I know you have that goal. Let's figure out how we're going to give and take, because we can't both work on those things at the same time because our fa- financial life and our personal lives with our children and things can't support that. So, you know, it's really important that we know that talking about money is a conversation and not a fight. Wow. Compromise, which comes from, stems from communication. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a novel idea. More people should try that. Think about how happy people would be if they'd actually communicate with each other, different topics, but I digress. I love it. Well, I love it. And yeah. I love what you do. Go ahead. And it's hard because, you know, it is an emotionally charged topic when we're talking about our goals and what we want to do with our lifetime. And, you know, there can be fear and, you know, frustration, potentially anger if we don't get our way sometimes. So there are these, all these emotions that can happen, but sometimes it's just saying like, Hey, I was really frustrated when you did that. Or I felt like I wasn't being heard or what, you know, and having that conversation, it can be challenging to approach your spouse with those types of words or your partner, or even your parents. Like if they're not helping you the way you were hoping or something, or parents with their kids, if you know, you need to go to your kids and say, listen, you had an opportunity and you didn't quite hit the mark. These things can be hard to talk about, but it's better to talk about it than to just brush it under the rug. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. I don't think ill of me now, or I want you to grade me on this. Good, bad, or indifferent. Okay, be honest. Okay, so whenever um, we get new phones in our house, okay, or I, let me rephrase that. Whenever I get a new phone in the house, I feel guilty. I feel bad. 
because I will always want my wife to have a better phone than me. So what do I do? Get her a better phone. Is that wrong? If your financial situation can support that, then it's absolutely not wrong. You know, um, I think it's really important. We, it's really easy to feel guilt. And um, I think it comes back to our value system, right? We've been told certain things along our way that make us feel that way first. So it's asking ourselves, why do we feel guilty for this? Is it because of a conversation that we've had? Is it because of some perspective that I need to challenge because I heard and learn something along the way that I need to unthink um, or rethink a different way. Um, you know, it's funny you use the card, the, the phone example, when my spouse and I got together for some reason, he was getting a new car. He got two new cars before I replaced my car. And I was starting to get a little bit like, Hey, I'm driving a 10 year old vehicle and you have gotten two new vehicles. And, and you know, I'm feeling a little bit left out here because your car is pretty cool compared to mine. Now they weren't fancy cars, but you know, like they were nicer than my 10 year old car. And, but it made sense in our financial life that his was the car that we replaced. And so, you know, it's having those conversations of, okay, how are we going to balance this and shift it so that maybe next time it's not your car that we're replacing again. And so it was, we started really building up savings so that we could buy a new car for me because also my car was getting to be pretty old and have a lot of miles on it. So it was becoming less reliable, but you know, it's, it's challenging those things of, okay, as a family, I don't know if you and your spouse have ever talked about this, but maybe she doesn't even care. And so then buying the phone for her, you know, maybe she doesn't feel like she needs the new phone or she does want the new phone, you know, whatever it is. So it's challenging that mindset of, are, are we just guilting ourselves for no reason, or is it something that we do need to act upon or change and find balance next time so that we don't feel like we have to buy two new phones at the same time? Yeah, but see, you know, it's, it was, it's all me. It was all me. It wasn't her. She was, <laughs> there was no guilt from her. I mean, she was like, no, you have to, you got to, you got to, I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's just, it's, I think it's just our relationship thing, I guess. I mean, it's just, that's my wife. I mean, I want her to have the best of the best. So if I'm sitting there with this brand new phone and now don't get me wrong, I didn't like do it like right then. It's just whenever right. her phone was eligible for right. upgrade, you know, we do it. I mean, you know, right. I'm like a great contract. That doesn't make financial right. sense at all. Right, right. But yeah, no, I just wanted to ask you that because, uh, you know, like I said, people make decisions for different reasons. And your answer is right. If it made financial sense for us to do it and it didn't really set us back or it didn't really make a big difference. Sure. But if I was breaking a contract just to get her a new phone, that makes no sense. And I just want her to be happy. But at the same time, you're digging yourself a more, a bigger hole in the process. She's happy for the moment, but then both of us are sad later. (laughs) Well, and it's important to think about strategically, is that the best use of those funds? And, and if it is great and don't feel guilty for it. Like, I think that's the whole beauty of, okay, if we look at our own situations and instead of comparing ourselves to somebody else that we want to emulate, if we look at our own situation and have our own value system and say, you know, I'm making decisions within that value system, we shouldn't need to feel guilty or, you know, distressed or whatever, because we're living with inside our means We're we're paying ourselves first. And so if we want to spend our extra discretionary funds to go get another phone or go on a, nice evening out or whatever it is, then we might as well enjoy them. No, agree 100%. 
Well, again, we really appreciate it. And this has been very informative and it's exactly why I want to have you on. And I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. And by the way, I want to, before we close out, two more things from you. One, how people can reach out to you and get in contact with you, if you will share that with us. Absolutely. So my direct email is lea at empowerco.com. So it's the letter M, the word power, co.com, leah at empowerco.com. That's my direct email and I I monitor it. So I would be happy to email back or answer any questions that any of your listeners have. And they better be answered. I might even email you. Who knows? Um, (laughs) And then the last, yeah, the last question, um, who has influenced you the most in your life and why? I think I know the answer to this, but I want to ask you anyway. (laughs) I ask all my guests this question. You know, obviously my mom has been a great influence on my life. She has she was the reason I started diving into even the world of personal finance as early as I did. I went through the program that she went through. So certainly I have learned a lot from her and, and, but I have to give my dad a little bit of credit here too. You know, they work together as a team. And I think that's really what I learned a lot growing up. And it's funny, you talked about how everybody's path is different. And I grew up in a really small town. And so I saw a lot of families like my own, for the most part, like there were differences in what our parents did or whatever, but a lot of us were playing on the same sports teams together and doing, you know, spending each spending time at the basketball court or the baseball field or whatever it was. And it was when I got to college that I really saw how different families were. And so I really have to say one of the biggest influences was just seeing my parents, you know, their example of how they work together and how they kind of gave and take over time to make goal, to help each other reach their goals. Um, So while my mom was definitely a professional like influence and certainly also just a mentor to me personally, it was also the combination of the two of them. Yeah, no, perfect, perfect answer. No, like I said, I knew it was going to be your mom. I mean, you work with your mom, you light up when you talk about your mom. So it was obvious that that's who it was. And I appreciate you giving a shout out to your dad. I think he'd appreciate that too. (laughs) He definitely deserves one. Definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Lee, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And as always, I'm Coach T. I'm here to educate, support, and inspire the next generation of leaders. Till next time, take care. Does your son or daughter lack confidence, have low self-esteem, or just feel out of place? They don't have to anymore because these are the kids that Coach T loves to work with to help them and to support you, the parents. Go to CoachT'sCorner.com to get started 